You are listening to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, episode 31. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, the podcast designed to grow young ministers. This is Tim Lucas, and with me today in the luxurious, opulent online virtual studio is Nigel Ali and Ryan Goff. How's it going, guys? Hey, man. It's going fantastic. Couldn't be better. So... We're finally back recording, 15 days since our last one released, so we're not hitting our two-week goal. I've already had requests asking me to hurry up and upload two, so I guess I'll take those two requests and call it clamor. So we've been having clamor for a new episode. And we really are, guys. We're going to be getting on schedule and recording more regularly. Um, As you know, there's been a lot of transition in my life. I'm currently working two jobs, and plus figuring out uh, sermon prep and, and church and, and all that. So really, it's my my uh, transition in my life that's really holding us back. But um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it looks like um, I'm kind of figuring things out. All of us are going to get on the same page, and we're going to have regular episodes again. So don't give up on us. Please don't unsubscribe um, as long as you like the content, which I was looking at this week, and it is crazy. We have been podcasting for over one year. Wow. Hey, you should have hey, a, s- put in a sound bite of like cheers and applause. Good idea. I'll do that. That'll be the fifth, the, the 10 people that have subscribed for the four yeah, years. Yes. Yes. Unbelievable. One year. Wow. I know it's, it's really amazing. Um, yeah. I actually had thought we would do a, um, anniversary episode and then one of the people who clamored for the release of a new episode um, said, hey, you guys should do an anniversary episode. Well, then, um, you know, I looked and immediately I realized that it's been a year plus a month since <laughs> we released. So we missed our opportunity to really do a true anniversary episode. Um, but happy anniversary on my hey. plate, guys. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is fun. I've I've enjoyed doing this so much, and uh, definitely I'm excited that we're still doing it. Um, definitely have bucked the odds. Um, they say podcasts never la- or on average don't last more than seven episodes. So we've done our wow, uh, well past that. We're at 31. Um, and I think it's great things- that we uh, have been able to get together 31 times in the last year. That's 31 times more it- than we would have. It really is is true. And, you know, even if we had no listeners, like this would still be valuable to me. And and the cool thing is we have got listeners, some listeners that have, that we, you know, we didn't know before the, the podcast, which is amazing to me. I kind of understand the people that already knew us listening. And uh, actually it's funny. Uh, we've talked about Alex and Jenny. Yes, the Alex and the Jenny listeners. They have listened from the beginning and, and written in um, and we've mentioned them. They were in my house. I know. I feel honored. And I actually thought we might record with them, but it didn't work out. And uh, the Alex was telling me how, you know, when we would record, he would always feel like he wanted to respond and say something because he felt like he was in the room with us, which made me feel good because that's exactly what we want. Right. We want yeah. you to feel like you're in the room listening with us. We do wish you could have a microphone, could respond. Uh, but my dad's in town. And so one thing I love about my dad, of course, we've had him on the podcast um, he was our first guest about a year ago. And, um, you know, one thing I love about him is anytime I'm with him, we talk about the Bible and we talk about God and, and spiritual things. And, 
you know, the conversation can't go more than 10, 15 minutes without God coming up. And I love that. Um, but we were in the car and we were talking about, about the move of the spirit and things like that and how, because of our ability in Pentecost, we have some of the best preachers in the world, some of the best singers in the world, best musicians. I mean, we can put on a show and none of that inherently is wrong. The problem is that it makes it easy for us to rely on that. Right. And there is no substitute for the move of God. No, no. There really isn't. And he was telling me too about um, this man who was pastoring and, and he had been reading this book. You know, he had, since he had left Bible school, he had committed to pray a day or an hour a day every day at the church and for revival and stuff. And he prayed and he read a book about a guy, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he had committed, it was a non-Pentecostal, non-truth preacher, but he had committed to pray two hours every day for revival. Well, he had been praying one and God told him, said, hey, if you want revival, you got to get serious about this. And so he started praying two hours a day. And he said, you know, as soon as I started praying two hours a day, it was some of the roughest prayer I've ever had in my life. For 30 days, it was dry and it was, it felt like nothing was happening. He said, but on day 31, he said, but as my knees hit the ground, he said, I just fell into this deep prayer. And he's like, I laid there for probably three, four, maybe five hours. I don't even know. Just intense prayer and intercession and communion with God. And he said, that's when revival started. So this preacher who's a Pentecostal said, well, you know, I'm going to do that too. So he did it. He's like, and it was crazy. He's like almost exactly the same. Those 30 days were some of the roughest prayer I've ever had in my life. Dry, didn't feel God for a moment. He said, but on day 31, I walked down. I said, God, you are no respecter of persons. If you'll do it for him, I expect you to do it for me. He said, it was exactly the same. My knees hit the floor and I was out for four or five hours. just crying and weeping in the presence of the Lord and revival started. And, you know, it's not going to change. Right. The way to have revival is not going to change. Right. no. That's wonderful, man. I I believe it. I believe it strongly. That uh, that's that's the key to revival. Yeah, we've talked about um, those books yeah. by uh, Ryan. Help me out here. You're the one that's reading them. Ravenhill. Ravenhill. Yeah. Leonard Ravenhill. Yeah. That all his books are essentially, and they're good. I'm not knocking those books. That's another thing Alex mentioned for the podcast. He's like, were you criticizing Ravenhill? I'm like, no, not at all. Yeah. I'm yeah. just telling you, all his books are reiterating and restating in a very good way. Right. Read them all. I think you should read them all. All the books are worth it. But that essentially it's the same message boiled down to, we don't have revival because we're not praying enough. Right. Exactly. And, right. and it's true. We don't need a new message. We all know no. what we need to do for revival. We just don't do it. Yeah, it's uh, we try to complicate it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not complicated and places that there is revival, the simplicity of the gospel, you know, it's just very simple. You just uh, build their faith and uh, speak the word of faith, you know. Yeah. And I think uh, many times we try to complicate this business with God too much. Just keep it simple. Right. And uh, and you'll see the results. Well, that's the problem. It becomes a business with God. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm guilty. I, you know, I like to read the time management books and the success strategies and all that. Yeah. There's but, nothing wrong to develop your own self, you know, what I no. mean? like in, in the, your ability to do things. Yeah. You know, but I can't help but think every single time Joshua 
made a strategy on his own or based on his you know tactical genius uh-huh he lost the battle and he would go back crying to god and say god i was stupid what are we supposed to do right and god would give him the answer and he would do it yeah and i mentioned before i hate the song you know uh about marching around the walls of jericho and it scares the devil and he gets scared when we worship and that's how we fight but if if Joshua had taken that and said, oh, hey, we're going to start a marching ministry, let's march around AI, well, they would have got slaughtered. <laughs> hey, oh, you don't know do that. Is, well, <laughs> you want to argue about that? No, I'm just kidding. No. The key is we need to pray until God tells us what to do. Uh-huh. Right. I wish I could remember who it was. Somebody was, I heard him preaching and saying, you know, in my church, we had a really great revival based on bus ministry. He said, immediately, I had hundreds of pastors calling me, wanting me to come teach their people how to start a bus, bus ministry. ministry. Yeah. He said, and then I remember, he's like, you know, Brother Cornwall did so well with teaching Bible studies. Everybody wants him to tell them how to start a Bible study teaching ministry. He's like, and I believe that. But he said, I didn't just decide one day to start a bus ministry. Right. He said, I prayed and sought God, and God told me to start a bus ministry. Yeah, You know, and then I can't help but think of some of these other guys who say, well, we need to do, you know, in my church, this is what brought me revival. So we should all do this. Well, if you really think about it, you did that and it worked because God told you to do that. Right. And I, I feel like every every place has a different dynamic, you know what I mean? And yeah. if you pray, God will tell you what will work in your area. Yeah. Because it has it has to do the, with the culture, it has to do with the economy, and it has to do with different things that, that will reach the people that is in your city, you know? But it always comes down to us doing something, something that the yeah. world thinks foolish. Right, right, right. Until the Lord says that, we should do things as brilliant as smart as we can and do, you know to work as hard as we can the way we know right but our goal has to be to get a word from god and then do it right um before we go too far off track um which is, isn't really off track they haven't started on our actual track yet <laughs> is there a track ryan, i don't think there's an actual track ryan let's start a track from our wonderings Maybe this episode we'll call it The Wonderings. I know people are just biting their nails just in anticipation, right? right? Like, we left them on the hook. Where is the point? Like, what is the track? (laughs) Yes. If you're still listening, Ryan, start our track. (laughs) Well, as most of you may remember from our podcast three months ago, I mean, one month ago. um, That you've listened to four or five times since you didn't have a new one. Uh, to pick apart and analyze. Yes. Inflections and reflections and flexions. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Deflections. We did something new where we kind of made a little hook for the next episode. And that was, we were going to discuss an article that, that I read that was titled seven things every leader should banish starting today. And granted, this is an article that someone read. You know, there wasn't, you know, it's, it's an opinion article. So nothing's, uh, you know, biblical or, or there were no studies really. It, but I felt like this, this author made some really, really good points. Um, and I will point out, um, just to give credit where credit is due, this is Carrie Newhoff, which, 
um, is one of the probably current premier church growth uh, podcasters. He has a great podcast. You can just search Kerry Newhoff. You can probably just find church growth and find the podcast. Great podcast. He interviews really good leaders. Um, a lot of common sense stuff. Um, so he wrote this article. So the seven things that uh, can easily be corrected immediately um, by just applying these uh, small principles to to your everyday life. And, and the first one is intentions. Legacies are never built on intentions. They're built on action. He makes a point where he says, uh, no one stands next to your casket or urn and says he wished he was nicer or he, he had always hoped he, he was more strategic or, or she really wanted to overcome her fear. Forget intentions or not forget, but get over intentions and start acting, which, um, is, is a great, uh, piece of advice. Um, go ahead, Tim. You look like you want to say something. Well, I was saying, and that ties in with our, uh, what we were just talking about. Stop intending to pray and just pray. Pray. And I'm talking to myself more than anybody. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. Wait, okay. are you serious? <laughs> so I don't need to keep Googling, learn how to pray? <laughs> exactly. Hey, and I'm, I say it because I do it. Like I, I am the kind of person, I want to be more most effective praying. And if I can learn that from somebody else, I want to do it. The key word, but, most effective praying. <laughs> exactly. No, it's true. <laughs> we can learn stuff from other people. Yeah, that's true. But Muslims pray five times a day. They do, <laughs> and we should learn some things from them. But ultimately, you can you can have an effective prayer life with no Google, no prayer books, just the Bible and God. But you can't have an effective prayer life with Google and all the prayer books, but without praying. Without praying, right? right. Amen. Amen. Same thing with Amen. witnessing. Like, yeah. how many times have we intended to invite somebody to church? Right. And our intentions will take them straight to hell if yeah. we don't act on them. Amen. That can that can be a whole lesson in itself. And, of course, we're quick to say to sinners, well, intending to get right with God, you know, we'll never help you. Well, yeah, but how about we banish our intentions? Mm-hmm. To borrow Carrie Newhoff's phrase. Right. And that goes across the board, right? I mean, just in our everyday lives, um, you know, with yeah. our children and with with everything. Um, I said, what does the scripture say? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. So how many, ta- how many things we know to do, you know what I mean? We have good intentions. We, we know that we should be doing, but we don't. And I think this is great for people who are in an associate role or just, you know, working in their local church. Thinking about doing something versus actually doing something is going to make such a huge difference to the, to the pastor and to the leadership of that church. Um, and I think, and God notices that, right? And he, I think that the ministry, the, the, of that church, I mean, that doesn't, that never goes unnoticed. Um, yeah. And, and we talked about that multiple times in being a servant and whatnot. Um, you can't be a good servant if you only do things, if you only intend to do things or, or you're right. not, if you don't have a purpose for what you're doing. Right. Jesus didn't say greatest in the kingdom are those who intend to be servants. <laughs> you know, and, and it's exactly. easy for us to get complacent in our role and say, well, you know, when I become a pastor, then I'll pray. Or uh, then I'll teach Bible studies. 
And yet it's the opposite. You know, we were taught in Bible school that every new level of anointing is preceded by a new level of sacrifice. Right. It's a sacrifice you have to choose. It's not one God will thrust on you. You have to choose it. You know, so again, intending, you you don't intend to someday do it. And that was a segue, Ryan. Right. So, number two, work on getting rid of words that start with some. Somebody, someday, sometime will do something. That guarantees zero action all the time. Yeah. In other words, to be an uh, an active leader or a servant or anybody who's worth anything, (laughs) you have to do more than just talking. Um, In fact, talking about doing something again and again is not leadership. It's called delusion. (laughs) And I I wish I could say that I haven't gone down that rabbit hole myself, but I have. And uh, this, I think that's why this hit home with me so much. Um, not to like get super personal about what's been going on with my church involvement here and whatnot, but you know, we came out here with a goal to either start a church or take over a church. And, and I feel like I've been kind of doing this using these words and, uh, really convicted me because I've been in Portland for now two and a half years two almost, almost three years and things have been happening as far as my personal life, but as far as the ministry and that stuff goes, I kind of feel like it's gotten a little stagnant with what I came out here to do. And I don't want to continue down that road because, again, someone, somewhere, sometimes means no one, nowhere, ever. Mm. And I don't want, I don't want that to be me. Yeah. Um, the one word that I want to use is that starts with some is somehow. Somehow it can be an amazing word when you're up against an impossible task and someone asks, how on earth will we do this? And it's great if we reply, I don't know, but somehow we're going to figure it out. I eat through prayer with the help of Jesus. That's all, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Brother Grimsley was here preaching and we, we kind of talked about it before, service, but the one thing he, he would tell people, he was actually an Assemblies of, uh, Assemblies of God pastor. When God opened his eyes to the truth, I think he said he was pastoring like 400 people. Uh, his church had grown from, he started it and it got up to like four or 500. He gave it up and started doing, started, felt like he wanted to be an evangelist. And he had got the revelation of the oneness and baptism and became an evangelist for the UPC and went right into that. And he's been doing that for like 28 years. But he would tell people when they would ask him, about his ministry and what he was doing. And he said, listen, I'm nobody, right? But I'm nobody who knows somebody. And that's, I'm thankful that I know who that somebody is today. Amen. Yeah. Right. But, uh, Tim, I don't know if you have any, or Nigel, some words, words that start with some. Well, and I think, you know, I do think you need to cut yourself some slack because, and I've been talking with somebody about this. The Bible talks a lot about how God suddenly does things. But those suddenlies, and he works fast, but those suddenlies happen at the end of a very long, seeming, nothing happening period. For instance, um, suddenly the, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind, you know, and the spirit filled the place and, and they were poured out. Oh, suddenly, but that suddenly 
happen at the end of a 10-day prayer meeting or seven-day, depends on how you calculate it. Um, you know, and, and there's several places throughout Scripture where it talks about God doing a sudden work. Um, and here's a hint. If you're looking for something to preach, it'd be a great message. But those suddenlies always happen at the end of a period where it's like, it seems like God's doing nothing. Um, you know, even the story of Jesus' birth, when you're reading the scripture, if you didn't know it was coming, it would seem very sudden that, that Jesus appeared. You know, um, it, you're reading, it's like, whoa, all of a sudden God's here. But that wasn't suddenly. You know, it's it's suddenly, but it was coming all along. And so I think in my ministry, I, I probably Nigel, you as well, there's times where you feel very stagnant. Yeah. And you're like, God, what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. um, and yet, so often he's—it's just part of the part of the process where all of a sudden things start changing. Changing, yeah. You know, and it's—and it doesn't mean we don't need to reevaluate and and check ourselves. But just because you're not necessarily seeing movement forward doesn't mean you're failing or not taking things serious. You know, right? Right. I don't know. No, I think you—you just—you nailed it. I—I will say this: I have never ever ever felt like i had to tell god whoa slow down god you're moving too fast for me yeah. <laughs> it's always been like god come on let's do something while we sitting still here you know um and yet it, his timing is best right yeah it sometimes it just seems like nothing happening and then suddenly yep. it starts it starts moving. i appreciate that yeah yeah actually i'm gonna preach that thank you there you go Preach tomorrow. <laughs> no, not if you need it, <laughs> if you need one next week, just call me. I'll give you something. <laughs> I put my I put my two cent and we'll, yeah. we'll go from it. I believe in the next. Unless, did you guys have more to say about it? No, I think I'm good. Okay, the next one. Oh man, I felt the spirit when I read over this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this one, unnecessary meetings. The value of meeting once getting beyond the creative process, the nailing down a few exceptional details. Outside of that, the value of meetings is pretty low. For the most part, and this was an interesting concept, meetings, if gone too far, can be the enemy of work. And he gives a warning saying too many leaders waste their lives in meetings. Instead Instead of doing what they're called to do, they meet to do what they're supposed to be doing. Oh. No wonder mm, I just did preach. not like meetings. <laughs> so, my favorite part of this whole this part of the article says meetings are the enemy of work. I think that's true, but I think meetings are the work of the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really feel about meetings? I don't like necessary meetings. So imagine how I feel about unnecessary meetings. And to be fair, if you ask. The youth staff that I was over when I was a youth pastor, we had unnecessary meetings. I tried to keep them as few as possible, but, you know, I just felt like there was this expectation we were supposed to be having meetings. And in my immature leadership, I had meetings because I felt like that's what we're supposed to be doing, um, which was stupid. Just, you know, being honest. Um, since we've come here, I've had one meeting with the trustees, and that was like a three minute meeting. No, I've had two meetings. One was a, we didn't even make it to the meeting room. We met in the hallway on the way to the meeting room. Second one, we actually went in and uh, had like a 10 minute meeting. And that was our initial trustee meeting. And that that's the meetings we've had. Otherwise, it's been like, let's have coffee. But even that's very informal and we're just connecting and, and all that. 
you know, and I know that at this point, my, you know, the, the people we're leading, I don't have a huge church, so I, there's less, you know, organizational necessity. And so I understand that the more people you get, the more meetings you have to have. I hate right. meetings. But I think you keep laying the foundation, it'll just flow, you know? I like the the one point that he makes. Dreams can be born in meetings. Like when you get creative minds together and you get your put your head together, uh, amazing things can happen. But unfortunately, far more often, dreams die in meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and you know that's the that's when you rely too heavily on the meetings. Um, you know, because if you're in a meeting, you're, you're, there's no action that's coming to, right? And I also, I feel like there might be an excess of meetings if there's not as much accountability. If there's an abundant amount of meetings, it might be because the pastor, whoever doesn't really necessarily trust what has been delegated is getting done. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times meetings are held for things that should be one-on-one. And I've done that before. Where I really, you know, I could have gone, I had five different people I needed to, you know, get information from, and it would have been much more effective. None of them needed to share that information. And so I could have texted them or gone to them and be like, hey, you know, did you do this? Can you do this? And instead, we have meetings. I'm like, okay, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And it's like, we all just wasted <laughs> I've, 30 I minutes. To say, it took us 15 you know, minutes when, to all assemble. Used to be over the district youth and all of that, and I used to say there's always more said than done. You know, what I mean, in a meeting, yeah, we we usually end up just talking for hour and a half, <laughs> two hours, and then. <laughs> I remember one one guy told me. He said, "Here's how I do meetings." He said, "We leave with, um, you know, there's the the focus is getting action point." Now he's like, "There's creative meetings. Yeah. That's different. We're not talking about creative meetings." Um, brainstorming type but other than that he's like we, we our goal is to get actionable items we assign people actions the next time we have a meeting we all walk in the room we stand we do not sit down and we go through and ask has these actions been accomplished and if they are not we dismiss because if what we decided in the last meeting has not been done there's no point for us to meet wow, again wow that's good that's good uh, <laughs> that was I'm not saying that would work in every situation. But. I was I was never a, a part of the department leader meetings that we would have uh, back in my church in L.A. But that was kind of the running joke. Uh, and, and I don't want to say anything negative uh, as far as like if there's anybody listening. But that was one of the... Yes, if if there's anybody that listening. That was one of the surrounding, if Joey Rios is still listening. Although he's trying to plant a church, so he's, he's probably not... He's, He's probably too busy to listen, but uh, oh no, man! Pl- church planners—they have cushy jobs. They get all that money from headquarters and don't really do any work. Oh man, <laughs> Joey, if you're listening, note to sarcasm, yeah. <laughs> Joey, if you're listening, that was a joke. Um, no, but uh, that was kind of the funny. The 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 joke is that they would go in and talk about things, and nothing went done. And they'd always mention the green, or yeah, it was the the. Usher's uh, sport coats because I think at like one of the first meetings they that was one of the things that they had talked about doing and this was probably mind you about a decade before I arrived on the scene and people were still talking about that 
Oh my and it goodness. never, to this day, never came to fruition. Never. Oh came to fruition. man. Oh man. Oh. And, uh, well, I think the keys are when you walk out, you have to know who's doing what, because if it's just like you know, this is going to get done, then nobody feels responsible. But if you say, okay, you know, Bob, you come back with, even if it's just come back with this information so we can make a decision, you know, it's pretty embarrassing when you're like, okay, we're having this meeting so we can act on this information. What information do you have? Oh, sorry, I forgot to get it. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen too many times. No. So our next one here is to try to get rid of as much fear as possible. Not, well, I, I should, I should restate that. Fear is one of those things that you want to try to limit, or at least the right, you want to have the right kind of fear. He leads it off by saying fear is the thief of hope. It kills leadership and it murders courage. And this guy who, as Tim already pointed out, is one of the, the leading consultants or leaders when it comes to church planning. So he knows a lot of them. And he says way too many leaders that he knows lives in fear. So we know that that holds some weight because he knows a lot of leaders. Um, he's, he's in that role. The deal is all leaders feel fear. If you don't feel fear, then you weren't created by God because that was one of the, that's a, you know, that you have to have fear to survive. Uh, yeah. it's, it's built into us. Uh, but. He says the effective ones, and, and I want to be an effective one, and I hope you do too, those who are listening, is you have to push past it. And he doesn't just leave you hanging, but he, he, he gives us an antidote, or at least what he feels it is, and, and that is to fear the right thing. And we, we know about the fear of God and the fear of the Lord, but another form of fear that is a positive fear to have, that's being afraid or having a fear of never accomplishing your mission or your goal or your call that you feel like God has placed on your heart because that will give you courage to elite or at the very least determination and in turn will grow your faith. But Tim, Nigel, um, pretty sure the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. No, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. It says perfect. It does say perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't say all fear. <laughs> um, but and and to be fair, that's not what it means. Anyways, that fear is timidity, not like being af- afraid. Um, you know, and, and I think one thing that we we that kind of leads into one of the later things is we fear rejection, right? Um, and the reason we fear rejection is not really because we're afraid of rejection, but because we want to please people, and we'll get to that. So I'm going to leave that alone. But we really have to be much more afraid of not pleasing God than of not than we are of being rejected and not accepted right. people. You know, and really, if you really sit down and think about it, if I went and we'll just use door knocking as an example because it's an easy one. If I knocked on a hundred doors, but one person went to heaven and every other one of the 99 doors cussed in my face and slammed the door. Is it worth it? Well, yes. Right. Now, out of those 100 doors, are 99 really going to slam the door in my face? No. Probably 65 to 70 of them are going to be kind and courteous. Nothing's going to happen. But, you know, and so we fear really dumb things a lot of times. Actually, 
Zig Ziglar says fear is the acronym for false evidence appearing <laughs> real. <laughs> and, true. you know, he is the analogy of a guy that robbed a bank. There's a true story. A guy robbed a bank with a banana in his coat pocket pointed like a pistol. Well, that teller was afraid and was fearful of that supposed gun because it was false evidence appearing real. And, you know, someone made made the point I wish I could remember who was a really good point. They were saying, you know, if you ever stop and think, what am I afraid of? And think beyond the fear, you'll realize how foolish the fear is. We're never really, for the most part, afraid of things that actually have substantial reason for us to fear. Now, obviously, some of them are, are real, like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. We should be afraid of that. You know, right. fearing, like being afraid to even preach on the street corner on a crate. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be effective. So, am I saying we should do that? No. But we shouldn't be afraid of that because what are we afraid of? Stop and think. Like, think about it. And when you really bring it to the logical cognitive side, you can really kind of convince yourself to push past fear. Well, I think that, you know, that includes, you know, the more that we pray, the closer we get to God, the higher our lever, right. level of boldness and expectation in God, then that just in itself will dissipate that fear. You know, True, as, as sure. that rises, that fear can't stay, at least that kind of fear. The fear of God right. rises. And yeah. so then we, we begin to fear, well, I need to do what, what God has mandated me to do. And that, that overcomes or trumps out the, the fear that yeah. would sure. prevent you from doing that. Well, um, but then you begin to yeah. realize that God can do absolutely anything and he is in control. And so that fear kind of, you know, the spirit of fear begins to disappear. The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, which is the good fear. And then the spirit spirit of fear begins to disappear, which, which, which holds us back from doing uh, things as leaders, you know, and it is the spirit of fear. Like you said, uh, Ryan, Fear is a good thing because sometimes it can save us from danger. Danger, you know, uh, just like a child is a, gonna, you know, he he or she doesn't know what a uh, fire can do, or a hot plate can do. But once they do touch it, they realize right. they're not supposed to do that. So that that kind of fear is good fear because it helps you or saves you from that doing dangerous things and killing yourself. You know, right. Uh, but then more often than not, like for instance, I'm play I play frisbee with my son. Mm-hmm. Now he's very young, so we're having to work through every time I throw it, even though it's moving so slow, and it hits him over <laughs> and over and it does not hurt. And yet he still every time turns away. Because it's false oh, and the, right. he's just yeah. that fear. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing there yeah. to be afraid of at all. Right. He doesn't and realize it now, yet though. Right, and I tell him, and I'm like, okay, think about it, Judah. It hit you. Did that hurt? No. Okay, trust me. And this is what I say. I say, trust me. Just look at me. Don't turn away. I don't care if you catch it. Just don't turn away. And he, he, it will work sometimes. And I feel like, you know, I didn't plan on saying this, but that's really sometimes what we have to do is just get to that point where it's like we say, okay, God, I'm afraid, but I trust you. And even if I drop the ball, I'm not going to turn away. I'm going to face it. And, and that fear eventually will go away. Um, but like you said, I think to the source of our fear sometimes, you really 
kind of something you said made me think of this, and I don't know. I haven't thought this through. The way we increase our fear for God and how much we care about what God thinks is by spending time with him. And could it not be that sometimes our fear of man's opinion comes from so much time we spend on social media? Preach. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that makes uh, perfect sense because that's the whole point. Well, that's not the whole point, but we want to see likes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, you know, some people get on there and they don't care if they, you know, they, they want to, uh, offend people, it seems like. But the other part is it, it creates that anonymity, you know, so there's not, so then it, it yeah. kind of makes it so it's almost more fearful of that personal con- interaction and kind of kills that spirit of witnessing. Yeah. Yeah. I know one guy said, uh, whatever you do, first in the morning will color the rest of your day and he said if the first thing you do in the morning is check your social media all day long you'll be worried about what people Mm. think about you yeah Uh, and that convicted me i'll tell you that much um you know and a lot of times you're not now so much my schedule is different but it used to be i would have i'd wake up and have like my, my morning was scheduled out but i would have five extra minutes somewhere it doesn't make sense but in my mind i'm like well it's not enough time to really get the bible out and read it yeah I'll just get on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And it would color my day. Um, it's amazing how those things can take up your time. It's true. That segues us right into the next one, and that is we need to work on getting rid of the desire to be liked. And I'm going to read this next statement twice because because Mr. Carey asks that we reread it. It says, leadership requires you to take people to destinations they would not go without your leadership. Hey, stop, stop. Stop for a moment, and if you would, reread that (laughs) sentence. Thank you, Tim. Leadership (laughs) requires you to take people to destinations they would not go without your leadership. No, it's true, though, because and it's it's so common sense. If leadership did not get people to go where they wouldn't go without it, then you don't need leadership. You help you. You're getting people to do something they don't want to do. <laughs> with, with that. Well, you have to get people <laughs> do to that, do something that they think they want to do that they used to not want to do. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you have to convince them yes. that they want to do it. And, well, and he, that's what he makes this statement. He says, uh, "Pleasing people is inherently confusing." And I never, I didn't put it this way. Uh, I never thought of it this way. It says, "Pleasing people is inherently confusing because people don't agree." One person wants it one way, another wants it another way. So that will inherently breed confusion if you're trying to do that as a leader. Um, and you'll never get anything accomplished. The vision that you have as a leader will never come to fruition because you're too busy trying to please those that are around you. I never really saw how true this is until I got into leadership in the church, within the church. And realizing that there are some people who are just not going to agree with you. And you kind of have to just dust your hands, kind of free yourself from it, and realize that some people just aren't going to be pleased. Well, and with your kids, we all talk about it. My goal is not to be my kid's best friend. You know, I would like to be. I'd like to be friends with them. Exactly. But if... You know, that's secondary. And now there is a flip side to it. And there are some leaders who just are completely devoid of any sense of common sense care for what people think. 
obviously that's not what we're talking about. Okay, just push that off the table. And there's something you got to figure out too what's important. Just like with our kids, we got to pick our battles. You know, and in, like our church, we currently have Thursday night service. There are at least three different like families that have mentioned they would like to consider having church on Wednesday night. And so what we're going to do, and I told people this past service, I want everybody to think about it. We're going to take a vote. I should have said survey because the vote's not going to like, I'm not just going to say, well, majority wins. I'll take the survey into account and then we'll make a decision temporarily for maybe three, four months, whatever. We'll set a date where we're going to come back and reevaluate and we'll keep it or switch back because it doesn't really matter. You know, like it's, it doesn't affect the long-term vision of the church or certainly not doctrinal, but even like the direction of the church. Wednesday, Thursday, doesn't matter. And, and if people can come on Wednesday, they can't come on Thursday, let's have it on Wednesday. In Japan, I remember, and I've learned it from my dad, you know, they always had church on Thursday and Japanese people couldn't come because they all work till like, they would be, they would get home from work at nine o'clock. Well, church gets out at nine o'clock. And so he asked them when they would like to have it. And they all said Saturday. And he was shocked. He's like, what? what? You can't have midweek on Saturday. Well, he didn't say that. And we did. And everybody was so faithful. And why not have church when people can come right. when they will come right so it doesn't mean we don't take into account even people's preferences if you have a church full of people that 85 percent of people want blue carpet mm-hmm. the other 15 want red carpet and you say no i'm gonna be a leader we're having green carpet well that's just stupid <laughs> you know you know what i mean but on the other hand you know, you start having revival, there's going to be people who don't like it because revival is inherently right. messy. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Too bad. You know, it's like you got to have common sense, but you're right. We do. And as leaders, I think we tend to have a naturally higher level of desire to be liked for some reason, um, at least in the church. It seems like people... Well, if you look at uh, um, as a whole, they, uh, you know, as an organization... A lot of the times, it's just like if you're a leader, you want to be popular and be known. And uh, and pardon me for saying this, it's amongst the younger uh, ministers, or you know, uh, that they think they've got to be liked. If you don't believe me, just go into that uh, forum. What's that forum? Young Ministers Forum. Apostolic young ministers forum forum and just see what people are doing. They, you know, young ministers that are probably nineteen, twenty years old, and and the the things that they do to get likes and just get the talk started and just be silly. You know, Uh, it's and what is it for? Just to be known, just to be cool, just to be popular. Uh, but you got to get that any leader that has done anything in this world, they've had to go through some oppositions and not liked uh, a lot of the times. You know, you look at the prophets of, yeah. of old, they were hated by the people. They were they were pretty much killed, you know, apostles. Right. They were they were pretty much hated. Uh, if you're going to be a leader, you will be hated. You know what I mean? And if you just try yeah. to be liked all the time, you are not going to get anything done. Yep. Which leads us to our next uh, point. We're going to get through these last two here. Ambition is not a bad thing to have. Let me just say that off the bat. 
We have to have hopes and dreams for our mission. However, if we have selfish ambition or selfishness, that's the kind of ambition that kills servants of God and turns them into servants of themselves. It seems pretty self-explanatory because that goes right into against what Jesus said, right? What Jesus said. Amen. Taught. Yeah. For sure. It, uh, don't do it for uh, selfish gain at all. You know what I mean? I was actually talking with a, another brother here. He's a church planner out uh, nearby. I went and preached for him, and we were talking after service uh, at, at dinner. And uh, we were talking about the altar uh, because they hold services in this uh, hotel. There's a little meeting room they have behind the restaurant, and they meet there, and there's just the – they have a little stand uh, – little music stand and then the chairs and stuff. And so there really is no altar. And he said he, he doesn't like the, now don't get me wrong. He, you know, he appreciates like an altar area where people can come up to, but he doesn't like these grand big altars where you have all the, the clergy and people, you know, sit, the platform basically. Yes. Like I got yeah sorry the platform uh where where everybody where the leadership is sitting he said because he doesn't want he doesn't feel like the people that are sitting in the pews he doesn't want them to feel like they can't be used in the gifts and in the things the moving of the spirit because in other words be able to do something important for the service you know, and a lot of our churches are like that way where we, unless you're sitting on the platform, and I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I don't know what I I'm think talking it, about. I, know, I think I kind of understand. It seems like it can be that way. Um, and, with and, and to be fair, we're not saying it's a yeah. sin, you know, for pastors to have people sit no. on the platform. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm not, and I hope I've, that didn't come across that way because it's all the churches I've been to. Uh, I feel like, and, and the caveat to that, I feel like it, it also is how the church is taught by the pastor and, and, well, and, and even just like Bible studies and stuff like that, teaching them about the gifts of the spirit and, and, and that it's okay that you, that you can be used in, in any form of, of that ministry. Um, as far as that that being that being taught uh within the church um he just wasn't a, a huge fan of it um he, he just felt like it created that separation yeah, i'm not either um, personally that separation i know, so, I know others yeah, I, I agree know others that are the same way that they don't like it you know um and again i'm not against it but our church here I, we have a pew on the platform for ministers to sit on what the former pastor sat on and I have no problem with that that's totally fine but just for me if I'm not doing something on the platform I just sit on the front pew I don't know I just right how I do it I'm not saying that that's a necessity so please yeah. I don't want anybody to think I'm saying right I mean and we this came is from the ABI only way there's like things that I, I feel very 
dogmatic about, and this is not one of them. I just think this is yeah, better. I think any way that they prefer at a church, that a pastor prefers, you know, some pastors like to be in the front so that they can see their people and they can see who's there. They can kind of scan the, and some they just, you know, don't like to be there in front and them to stare at them, you know what I mean? I know when I was at uh, Granbury Church, we we had uh, you know chairs in front uh, on the platform, and then we removed them. We moved it to the you know the pastor and associate pastor and some of the leadership sat in the front two pews. You know, uh, so we we changed the format, and it was more f- more because we really did not. One people just kind of looking at us, you know what I mean? If we were not doing yeah. something, so it, I don't think either right. way is wrong. Yeah. Well, I think too that one thing some people that are not familiar with Christianity um, are turned off by is the pastors who kind of elevate themselves and that concept of kind of the TV evangelist uh-huh. yeah. and um, you know that look where. You know what I'm talking about, where, like, the pastor comes out and he's flanked by, like, five, yeah, <laughs> you know, henchmen. And I, I know most churches are nothing like that at all. But I want to be so far removed from that, personally, my personal taste, you know, and I don't want it to seem that way at all. I just really want people to know that, hey, this is just a normal guy that God is using. I'm a servant of God. Um, the <laughs> only difference between me and them is the current, responsibility God has put on yeah. me. Um, right. You know, and the last thing I want them to think is that, well, you know, there's those, there's the, the super spiritual people who they can actually be holy. And then there's the rest of us peons who we just have to f- sin through life and come and get forgiveness, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so I'm not saying that sitting on the platform is going to make people think that, it, but I just want every little tiny thing I can do to distance myself from that attitude, the better. I don't like it either, but yeah, it's just, I don't like it. Yeah, I never have. I've always, as much as people have tried to even push me to say, hey, you're great and mighty. I'm like, man, dude, you got it wrong. We are all, you know, Jesus has put us all in the same denominator. It doesn't matter uh where we've come from, what we're doing, you know, how many people have got healed, what positions you have, is you got the same Holy Ghost that anyone else has, you know. It's just the, you know, that office, it's the office that is respected, you know, the office of the pastor, the responsibility, but I'm the same man, you know. Right. Yeah. Our, uh, Number seven. our last point here of things to try to rid yourself of is blaming others. Ooh. I'll just say great leaders never assign blame. Right. Instead, they always just assume responsibility. Um, yeah. And I think that's good in any, any facet of life. Um, I remember, well, two things that makes me think of one, um, is when I was a kid, I mean, my dad used to always get leadership books and books on tape and videos and stuff. And one that I always remembered, um, a lesson in that video, talked about that a leader always takes blame and hands out credit. 
that when they deserve the credit, they give it away. But when others deserve blame, they take it on. And that's a mark of a natural leader. The second thing it makes me think of is a guy who was a a commander of a SEAL unit or something like that. No, I'll have to look it up. And um, he wrote a book called like, oh, Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership. And he talked about, he had a, a unit that he was in charge of in the military and he, I mean, they really like were very successful and recognized. And he said the key was that every, it was everybody's fault if something didn't oh, go right, wow. wrong, uh, didn't go right. If something went wrong, it was everybody's fault. And you looked at it. What did I do wrong? And typically when something goes wrong, everybody did something wrong along the way and it could have been cut off. And so that attitude of not whose fault is, is it, but how is it my fault? is such a healthy attitude. And the thing is, as a leader, when you assume that attitude, others will assume it too. And if they know that when they take blame, there's not going to be harsh judgment, people are not afraid to take blame. They just don't want to be singled right. out. And so if you've already said, hey guys, this is my fault. I blew it. I did this and this and this wrong. They're going to naturally say, it wasn't just you. I made this mistake and this mistake cool. and this mistake yeah, also. True. You know, and it's so, is whereas you're like, hey, who dropped the ball here? Well, who's going to raise their hand? Right. Yeah, no. You know, and so as leaders, we have to lead by not assigning blame. Yeah. You know, that's a that's an easy one to talk about, but I think you know, that's more of the, one of the tougher ones when it happens. Um, and practicing it with the small things the little things in life definitely helps with uh the bigger things when the when those bigger things happen well and it is scary because you never know when you take the blame i mean right sometimes you know you take the blame somebody's gonna be like you're right it is your fault and you're gonna get fired or or the equivalent yeah and you're gonna have the repercussions and yet long term when you create that culture of accepting responsibility you know, things don't go wrong as often. Yeah. And when they do, things get fixed. And, you know. All right. So, those seven things. Number one, intentions. Two, words that start with some. Three, unnecessary meetings. Four, fear. Five, desire to be liked. Six, selfishness. And seven, blaming others. Those are easy banish things to banish starting today. Yes. Get or whenever you hear out. this. Yes. Not someday. Someday. <laughs> Not someday, yes. but today. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, Ryan, what's our hook for next lesson? Or lesson, next episode? You I'm will just have kidding. to wait. You will, have to, <laughs> you will have to tune in to the next podcast to hear yeah. that hook. And so, and here's our hook. hook for this episode. <laughs> we'll tell you the hook next, next episode. <laughs> Join us next time on Behind no. the Bubba Podcast to hear to, yeah. the hook. To find out there the hook. No. Hey, Ryan, I'm going to start calling you Captain okay. Hook instead of Mr. <laughs> Research Expert himself. Okay. I'll have to work on my pirate. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, oh, just kidding. No, um, seriously, though, it's so good to be back recording. You know, we're going to make this a priority. Yeah. And if we have to just do it with two of us because of our schedules line up, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to start getting these out. Well, if people um, are wanting eventually, it, we'd, I mean. we're, yeah, eventually we're going to 
try, we're hoping to get it down to one week, once a week. We don't know if that's possible or not with our schedules, but we are going to make it where we are consistently getting one out every other week. Um, we're so, so grateful you listen to us. We would love to hear from you if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we're going to be re uh, reintegrating interviews. We already have a couple people who have who have agreed to be interviews, which you'll be excited about. We don't have them scheduled yet, and so I hate to start talking about them. But we have some great guests we're going to be having on. We want to get back to that, and and we're really going to reinvigorate the podcast. And, and man, we love doing this. So don't think that our enthusiasm has waned. Don't think that our passion is waned for it. Um, it's just sometimes life gets hard um and to do your passion and so but we're definitely not giving up on it we're not gonna pod fade which is the the industry term for when podcasts just kind of fade out into the sunset we're not fading out anywhere we're we're still planning on going strong and uh whether you know our our listenership uh quadruples and goes from one to four or it just stays at one we're gonna keep doing (laughs) but hey thank you Thank you, thank you for listening. And until next episode, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God. Amen. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.